Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Conversations with a Wounded Healer is a podcast where I interview other professionals in healing modalities, and we talk about the intersectional journey of healing self while taking care of others. And I'm really excited that you're joining me today. If this is your first time here, welcome. Thanks for hanging out. I hope you enjoy yourself. I wanted to share a couple things that I would love your support with. So first of all, Patreon. I had somebody tell me recently, you don't mention your Patreon account enough. And it made me think that, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to donate. So I'm going to share it every episode. Oh my God, look at me. I'm marketing. I'm doing it. So if you go to Patreon, it's a place where you can give donations to people that you appreciate. There are tons of people who have wonderful special things to donate to and conversations with a wounded healer is one of those places and you can find us at wounded healer and that's wounded spelled correctly and then healer h-e-a-l-r i was trying to keep the urls the same you guys i'm sorry or you can just search (laughs) so we're on patreon you can go there you can pledge as little as one dollar a month and anything that you are willing to give to support this podcast is really really cool and really appreciated you will get my undying love and gratitude if you participate at the five dollar a month there are other fun things that you get to enjoy so check that out also we would really appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on apple podcast because essentially what that does it sometimes it can work on the algorithm to get you up in the ratings and sometimes it really legitimizes the podcast and one of the things I'm really trying to do more of this year is reaching out to folks who are kind of like like higher on the scale and in order to prove to them that it's worth their while it's nice to have a lot of good five-star reviews so please do give us a five-star review if you're digging the show and please also write a nice little write-up there and if you write something that makes me laugh I will read it on the air and I will credit you with it so there's an incentive for you there also if you want to interact with me directly you can find me on instagram at head heart therapy and on facebook at wounded healer again spelled w-o-u-n-d-e-d-h-e-a-l-r i think that's all of the advertisements for today we'll see so Today, we are going to be speaking with my friend, Chuck. Now, Chuck is a passionate advocate for the LGBTQ plus and chronic illness communities, and Chuck facilitates trans-affirming trainings about inclusivity, privilege, and the creative power of language. Over the weekends, you can find them cooking enormous meals for their friends in the duplex they share with their partner, the world's best neighbor, several backyard chickens, and a yellow-eyed dog. Now, I'm kind of mad that Chuck and I didn't talk about the chickens, so... Maybe we'll have to do another interview, bring them back and do that. So I hope you enjoy our interview with Chuck. Hello, Chuck. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Happy to be here. Yay. I just told you before we started recording and I can't not do it. I was thinking about your name and the first thing that came to mind was Chuck, Chuck, Bobuck, Banana, Fana, Fofuck, me, my Bobuck. <laughs> I was reverted back to first grade and it brought me joy. So thank you for bringing me joy. I'm so happy to have brought you joy. I also appreciate <laughs> getting to hear it twice now and right? the joy I'm experiencing in return. Uh, so thank you for that. That's so good. Do people do that to you all the time? Literally never, but now <gasps> I think I need to make it happen more often in my life. I call it to you. Please call it to you. I have a two-year-old niece and that song will inevitably Uh we'll get there. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I love starting off 
episodes like this with people who I don't even know when we're just like, all right, we're best friends. So let's go. And I'm glad that you trust me with that because we have a mutual friend, Nadia, right? Yes. And uh, Nadia had reached out to me and said, you've got to interview Chuck. And you were like, hey, yeah, do you want to talk? And I was like, no, let's just do it. So, Oh, yeah. Well, and I think it's nice to sort of get to start off a friendship and a podcast. You know, I think lovely conversation as our first conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. Many friendships have started as a result of this podcast. So I hope this is no different. Yeah. So why don't you tell folks and me, because I read your bio, I looked at your website, but I really know almost nothing about you. So tell us all who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I do all sorts of things. But my sort of passion and where I love to spend a lot of my time is leading trans-affirming gender equity trainings. Love facilitating. That's my happy place. When I'm not doing that, one of the other great loves of my life is logistics. So I do a lot of operations management and event management, which is wonderful and get to use a different part of my brain. So Mm -hmm. balance. So what was the journey to becoming a trans-affirming? You said that I didn't get the whole block of it, but trans-affirming gender... Equity. Equity. Trainer. Trainer. Yeah. So how did you end up there? Tell us from day one. Day one. Chuck was born. And and then. (laughs) How long was this podcast? Right. Yeah. So I studied women, gender, and sexuality in college. And so had sort of this theoretical queer theory background already. I then also myself identify as non-binary. I was, you know, living out in the world as a trans person. And I have a chronic pain disorder and was doing an intensive program where I was spending 40 hours a week for four weeks with practitioners very intimately. Yeah, across the board. And I was just being constantly misgendered, constantly Mm -hmm. singled out in the room as the only person who was asked my pronouns and then my pronouns Mm -hmm. were not used correctly, just, you know, sort of a litany of microaggressions. And eventually about three weeks into the program, we were meeting with pain psychologists once a week, which was, you know, a wonderful piece of the program. But similarly, in those conversations, I didn't actually feel like I was seen as my own whole self and was able Mm -hmm. to, you know, express pieces of myself that felt very relevant to the conversations and ended up spending my 45 minute psych appointment explaining to the psychologist the ways in which that they could make the program trans-affirming. And literally she flipped her notebook over, had a full page of notes, was ready to go. Wow. And I left feeling both extraordinarily empowered and proud of myself and determined and realizing that there was an impact I could make and incredibly frustrated that my insurance company had just paid her for an hour session. Oh, she should have actually... Yeah, redirected that. I've, I've had that happen before. And I was like, you know, we're talking about business right now. Let's do this after. Right. Well, and for that, absolutely. For many yeah. reasons. And had an opportunity soon after that to test out some curriculum and just sort of went from there. It was, I really shaped my curriculum based on, in part on that experience and in part just on the, you know, the conversations I'd been having over and over and over again with friends and mm-hmm. families and potential employers, et cetera, et cetera. So So you're really taking this from the inside out, right? Like your own personal experience and then helping others with it. That's so fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, and it feels like such a gift for myself, right? I'm actually getting to to impact, right, policy and infrastructure change in these companies that I would like to be able to access. Right. So is it mostly healthcare or where, where are you doing these? It has been across the sectors. I've worked with a gym. I've worked with design studios. I've worked with an ad company. I've worked with small consulting companies, religious groups. Yeah, it's sort of been across the board. And 
your email came just at the most incredible moment because I have been talking to everybody in my life about how badly I need to get this training to therapists. Yes, 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 yes. In part, again, right, for my own experience, I have been on the hunt for months now to find EMDR specialist who focuses on pain, who can use my pronouns correctly. And oh, it, wow. It's challenging. And I have so many friends and loved ones who have had the same experience. And I am very excited to see what sort of shifting my energy to a, a very specific sector might look like. And I think, you know, as a person with chronic pain, I've certainly had a tremendous amount of run in with different forms of healthcare and have just mm-hmm. seen the, the harm that can really be done in those moments when you're seeking healing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So I have a question for you. This is like, you're going to get to help me live (laughs) telling everybody else, but because I'm a trainer, I'm a, a professor. I work at Loyola University and then also another university online. And at Loyola, they asked us to make it part of our syllabus that, you know, we're including gender equality and asking pronouns. And so I just started doing that for, you know, for trainings. I try to use they until I know differently. And then I ask my students and people what their pronoun preference is. And usually people would just, you know, they'll just say whatever their pronouns are. But the first time I got somebody who said that doesn't apply to me. Mm. And I was literally like, what do you mean? Because we all you like the have a pronoun. language yeah. has a pronoun, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. what like what what do you mean? Like what do you want me to use? And and this person said, Well, I believe that, you know, a woman is a woman and a man is a man. And and so, you know, I should be co- I see you taking a deep <laughs> breath, right? Right. <laughs> yes. And in the moment, you know, I tried to broaden that in the moment and just be like, well, this is what I've been taught as an educator that that is really important in order for social workers to learn how to be inclusive. And so that's why I ask. And so just to let you know, and I'm trying to figure out how to follow up because I'm I'm definitely sensing bias and prejudice and mm-hmm they work with a population that also feels the same way that they do. And so it reaffirms this. Tell me what to do in that. And then we'll talk about the other things. Yeah. Well, I have (laughs) 4,000 things I want to do with that. Tell me everything. Wow. So in a split second like that, right, I like to remind myself that there's only so much educating you can do in three seconds. And frankly, educating might not even be an option in that moment, right? Now I get a deep breath. Thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, it would be wonderful if every interaction actually allowed space for education and healing. Right. And especially in a, in a room like that, I think my immediate reaction to that person would to say that there are people in this room who hold a different belief. And it's my core belief that I can't look at a person and determine their gender. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm asking. If yeah. you don't want to tell me, that's perfectly fine. I'll use they for you today. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Okay. You know, on repeat until it's memorized. Yeah. I think, <laughs> you know, just saying, again, just to say to that person in that space, something that directly gets at that, right? Whatever that core piece that's holding them in that state mm-hmm. of judgment or that state of, right. of unmovability, you're not going to get at that in a three sentence interaction, unfortunately. Right. I would say I would absolutely love to have that person in my workshop because one of my core pedagogies and principles that I bring to the workshop is this about all of us. Even if you believe that core belief, right, that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, whatever that means to you, mm-hmm. we're all impacted by gender roles, non-negotiably. And right. we can, you know, I spend a solid half an hour of my workshop talking about the gender experiences of the people in the room because we're not talking about these 
whether or not you've ever think you've met a trans person before, you think you have a trans person in your friend group or your family, you too are restricted and controlled by societal Mm -hmm. ideas of what the gender is. And I've seen extraordinarily amazing shifts when people can sort of Mm -hmm. grab onto that idea. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was going to say was I find that understanding gender really coincides with understanding race and and how people are impacted by that. And it's funny because there's a friend that I have who identifies as they, them, and also is black. Mm -hmm. And so we've had discussions about that intersection. And and I realized in having these conversations, I have done more work around my whiteness than I have Mm -hmm. done around my gender. Absolutely. Because I have more questions that just tells me I need to educate myself more. Absolutely. And I think race and gender are linked in ways that I can't separate the two when I'm talking about systems of oppression. It's just you can't do it. And I think if you have a person who's really deeply devoted to anti-racist work and is struggling Mm -hmm. with their whiteness and is doing the work to, you know, challenge the bias that we all have, I think if you're not doing the work to examine gender bias within that, you're doing a great disservice to Mm -hmm. the anti-racist work you are trying to do. And I didn't get that. I didn't get it because I have a friend from grad school who depends on the time period, whether it was women's studies or gender studies, right? Because they flipped it at some point. I I can't remember what her undergrad was, but it was either women or gender studies. And she was always saying these things, but I didn't really know what it meant. It wasn't until I read White Fragility Mm -hmm. and started understanding that component that now I really understand what intersectionality means. And so I always recommend to white people, White Fragility for anti-racism is there a book about gender that you recommend that people read? Okay. Well, I have to tell you, you went in a very different direction. I love that book so much. The book that I actually recommend to people is this tiny little graphic novel on they, them pronouns that I just absolutely love. Yeah. And it's just a guide to they, them pronouns. And it's by this wonderful graphic novelist, Archie. And it's just extremely accessible. It's seven bucks. You can get it if you're in Chicago. Mm. It's everywhere and online everywhere. And it's really so helpful and accessible and a wonderful introduction to understanding non-binary genders. And within that, again, right, these sort of underlying systems at play. Right. Not at all a theory book. Right, right. (laughs) It doesn't matter how you get at it. Comics are easier. Great. Well, and that's exactly Mm. what we need is those those quick, you're not going to get everybody that you want to read a theory book to read a theory book. And it's unfortunate and... I am very excited when I see folks who have, you know, been in a workshop with mine and say, you know, I got the book and it really, you know, it it helped. You know, I go back to it and I sent it to my grandparents. How did that go? Wonderfully. They're trying. I'll give them trying, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they read it and they told me about it and that's all I could ask for. So I'm very happy there. Wow. So I'm assuming from that that you have come out to your family. Yes, absolutely. And so... Do you mind sharing how that went? Ups and downs? Sure. Like yeah. the joys and the pain? The joys and the pain. Sunshine um, and rain. <laughs> so I think the, and I'm sure you know this, and probably many of your listeners know this, right? Trans people and queer people and people across the LGBTQIA communities come out a thousand times and every day mm-hmm. and a couple right. times a day. So my my coming out was not a concise experience at all, but mm-hmm. my family was across the board pretty wonderful about it. 
it has taken a long time. We have other family members who are binary trans people. So I was not walking into a, you know, totally new world for them. Can I clarify? So by binary trans, you mean like essentially switching from male to female or, or female to male? Yeah. So a trans person who identifies as a man or a woman. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. As their core full-time gender identity. I have continued to watch people really struggle with this in between this. I think I have a fascinating experience of having close family members who are trans, but trans in a very, very different way than I'm trans. And, you know, I've gotten some wonderfully innocent questions that sometimes make me laugh and sometimes make me really sad. And mm-hmm. depending on the day and depending on the person and depending on how many conversations we've had mm-hmm. before. But I'm in a place now where I feel like my family is really trying and is really invested in understanding this in betweenness that I am sort of, you know drawing Mm -hmm. them towards. My grandmother passed away recently and I had Mm. one of the most amazing conversations with her. She was 94. And last summer we were talking about this and I was sort of trying to talk to her a little bit more about the gender identity behind just like me being Chuck and me presenting in a way that Mm -hmm. was, you know, different than other assigned female at birth folks in her life. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's a, she was a very direct person and, and we were chatting about it for a minute and she just said, oh yeah, when I was born, my, my dad really wanted a son and I tried to be a son for him and I couldn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't a son. And we never talked about it again, but I just knew in that moment she understood, right? She had been impacted by these same systems and she saw right, them, right. Uh, felt incredibly seen in that moment. Yeah, that's yeah. huge for yeah. someone of her generation to really. Oh, yeah. And she just totally got it. Yeah, pretty incredible. Well, and that goes back to my recognition of like, if we don't explore our own relationship to gender, then we're not going to understand the experience of someone who experiences a difference than we have. And we can so easily keep people in that place of otherness, right? I mean, right. it's so hard to bridge that gap when you see it as something that's only impacting these other people. Yeah. Have you watched Work in Progress? No. (gasps) Chuck. You're missing out. So Abby, what's her name? I don't know her last name. I'm a terrible person. But the show is called Work in Progress. It's on Showtime. And she's actually like a Chicago comedian and identifies as a queer woman attracted to other women and Mm -hmm. meets a trans man. Mm -hmm. And then this relationship develops and it is the sweetest thing Mm -hmm. I've ever watched in my life. And it's also super educational because one of the things that I learned on there is not to ask somebody about their dead name or their birth name, whatever you want to call it, right? Because that would have been one of the questions that I would have asked potentially. Uh, And like, I learned. So you've got to watch it. It is the cutest, sweetest. I'm going to get time just for this purpose. Yeah. You can get an add-on for Hulu. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Just do it. Well, I'll tell you when the season is over so that you can just binge it all in once and get it within one month. Uh, Sarah, I feel so known. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's just so sweet. And the thing that I love so much about it is like the way that they're talking about ability, they're talking about gender, they're talking Mm -hmm. about sexuality, they're talking about Mm -hmm. mental health and suicide. It's like, oh, okay, I got to watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and And I'm a little mad you hadn't heard about it. Not at you, but I'm mad at Showtime because I don't think that they're advertising it as widely as they should. And that makes me wonder, like, what's up with that? That is a little concerning. I also have to say it might just be me not watching Showtime. (laughs) That might be the root cause of this problem. (laughs) 
but I feel I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how it came up because I don't like look at Showtime all the time. That's actually right. one I don't usually go to. Oh, okay. Gotta do it now. It's so just unbelievably exciting to me. I just can't wait until we're actually represented and the multitudes mm-hmm. of non-binary people are represented because there's a lot of us. Yeah. Well, now I remember one of the questions I wanted to ask. So I believe we're being called as a society to move away from binary, period, Mm -hmm. whether it's in relation to gender or other things. And I'm curious, since since you're doing a lot of this work, you're probably you probably get like the same resistance and the same questions over and over about it. Like, are there themes to what people are struggling to get that's going to get us to the next level of really understanding this? Yeah. You know, there's a tremendous amount of fear. I think there's just a tremendous amount of fear. I think that for folks like your friend in the training, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like we're telling people that they can't be themselves and that they have to blow up their whole idea of what people are, Mm -hmm. right? We're comfortable with boxes. We're comfortable with, you were born X, therefore you're X. You were born Y, therefore you're Y. And I take my work incredibly seriously, whether that work is formal or just the conversations I have with people in my life. But Mm -hmm. I also try to bring a lot of levity to it because this stuff is fun to me and I want people to get excited about it. Language shifting is wonderful and beautiful and fun. And there's so much that we can do with that. And representation shifting. And I see it as expansion when a lot Mm -hmm. of people, I think, see it as right there. We have such a fear of the unknown. And I think just getting people to that place and delving into really having vulnerable and radically honest conversations about that fear. And that's not what our society is built on, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You have this podcast for a reason. These are not conversations, unfortunately, that the vast majority of people are taught are okay to have. And I see right. that as really a big barrier. Yep. You said what I thought. It's fear. <laughs> fear. Yeah. There's so much right now. Oh, across the board, right? I mean, I'm not even speaking just about gender. I think across Mm -hmm. the board, fear is such a restrictor and and I think a fear of compassion and empathy also. There's a lot of suffering that you have to acknowledge and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of things you have to acknowledge that is painful and is a choice to explore. Well, and that kind of goes back to the well, again, we can't really like you said, we can't really separate race and gender, but it, it just makes me think you know, I don't know if you saw this on, do you spend any time on Facebook? Yes. Not okay. Because this is where, this is where I, I see a lot of these things, but I saw, it was essentially like an article about, I talked to my brother about this and he was like, I don't think that this is a real thing. I think it's actually an art project, but the fact that it's even out there in the world scares me. But essentially it was a conference called Make Women Great Again, hosted by men many of them like alt-right type folk. And again, I don't know if it's actually real, but the people that they advertised on there are real. And that is really scary to me, you know, saying things like, don't believe what the feminists are telling you. You should be at home cooking, cleaning for your family, whatever. Like you shouldn't feel bad about wanting to have a baby. Like just all of these things. Oh, what like one of the things that said was like, have unlimited babies. And so again, that's why we don't know if it's real or not, but people do think that way. And my brother was like, well, I think it's just the fringe of society, but I'm kind of scared that it's not. I don't know. And what I feel like I'm seeing right now is a response to fear of losing power. Oh, absolutely. When we talk about any systems of oppression and privilege, there's only so much power 
at the end of the day, right? There's only so much wealth at the end of the day. Right. So if we're going to talk about equity, right? right? It maybe means losing the comfort of reliably knowing any cis woman you date will be happy to cook dinner every night. Maybe that's your mindset and that's what you think the feminists are doing to you, right? <laughs> terrifying, right? Yep, Black we are terrifying, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it turns my stomach to think about, but I think in the same ways that we have to invest ourselves in the conversation by recognizing that we are impacted by these systems of mm-hmm. gender roles, I think equally we can't say it's the fringes of society because it's in all of us, right? It's the air we breathe when mm-hmm. we talk about racism, when we talk about gender roles. We can't say that it's just, you know, oh, it's only this little small fraction of white men who are terrified for mm-hmm. these particular reasons. You know, I've watched it again in the loving people in my life. I've watched them struggle with the exact same things, even if they talk mm. Mm. Really? You know, for them, I don't think it's about power. I think it's about normalcy. I think it's about comfort. I think that's sort of that mm. piece I was talking about before in terms of gender. That Right. Which is essentially just power, but turned down. Oh, yeah. Right. Because if I don't know what is normal, how do I make sense of the world? Absolutely. And it's hard to ask people to be comfortable with confusion. Yeah. Right. To let people sit in that a little bit is challenging for most of us, but Mm -hmm. vitally important. And I see growth happening in discomfort. Right. And I think when when people are able Mm -hmm. to sit in that, so much more can actually shift, but you have to be willing to sit in it first. Here's my theory. This is a little out there and I have no basis for I'm just making this up. But I feel like the human brain is made to think in a binary way. And I almost think that people who are able to step outside of that more easily are more evolved. Like we came from apes and there was this evolutionary process. And I'm sure the first Homo sapien people were like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Right. Because they were able to use their prefrontal cortex in a different way. And that's my theory because it's easier for some people than it is for others And it's not just the social construction of society. I think there's actually something preventing the evolution for some folk. I'm fascinated. Now I want to read like eight things about that because I've never thought of it. I made it up, but I'm sure that someone else has thought of it too. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the first person to make it up. No, there's definitely an article we're going to find as soon as we get off this. Great. If you find it, we will post in the show notes. 100%. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, I talk about that with folks all the time, right? That like, if you watch a little kid, our brains work in binaries. That's how we work, right? We need to organize information somehow. Totally. I'm also privileged to be surrounded by artists. And I think that there is a piece of that, right? Yeah. Ooh. Not something. Yeah. You know, not to be uh, sappy, but like, if you've ever mixed colors before on a palette board or you've ever... Mm framed a shot in photography or you've ever played with clay with your hands, you understand that it's not green and blue and black and white. There's so much nuance and that you've delved into that nuance and you've enjoyed that nuance. So I think that's a huge piece of it in my mind as well. I really love that. <laughs> yes. So I'm having a wonderful experience, even though, you, well, I see that you have a mic in front of your face. I but do. You do. I truly keep forgetting we're recording a podcast for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I've tricked you. That's the best thing. You're doing great. You're doing great. 
<laughs> Amazing. Again, folks, we just met. We just yeah. met. This is how well I make friends. I'm very proud of myself, patting myself on the back. Well, let's let's shift into the healer talk because I'm really oh, curious yeah. how you're going to answer this question of whether or not in the context of all this work, you consider yourself a healer. You know, I have been thinking about that this week as I was thinking about this call. You know, I am someone who has, has thought of myself as a healer in many ways and had never thought of it in the context of this work. And I'm excited to figure out ways to incorporate that into the language around my work because mm. it, it does feel like healing work. One of my favorite moments always in my workshop is when we are doing that deep dive into the impacts of gender restrictions and gender norms on all of us, there's always this moment where I see someone in the room who, you know, has earlier on in the conversation has identified with using he, him pronouns. <laughs> and not, or identified, not, not to stereotype, but. Not to, no, no. <laughs> right, um, right. And people who have been assigned male at birth and have mm-hmm. self-identified that way, realize that the conversation's about them also. And realize mm. that they, I'd say nine times out of 10, the comment that's brought up is that, well, I was always taught that I wasn't allowed to cry as a kid, or I wasn't allowed to be sad, or I wasn't allowed to yell when I was upset. And just watching that realization, whether it's a breaking open or a direct healing, I don't know, but it feels like a step in the right direction towards healing. And that's what this work is about. That's what these conversations are about for me, is that this benefits all of us. This is not right. anybody saying you don't get to be a man. You don't get to be a woman. Right, right. You get to be it exactly how you want to be it. And right. that to me is, you know, about liberation, which I think is healing in a really deep form. A super deep way because it's a collective healing. It's a societal mm-hmm. healing. And there's only so much individual work that we can do if we're not changing society. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a different level of healing that, you know, we may not even think of directly when we think of the term healing, you know, many people are like, oh, hands-on healers or, you know, whatever. But I think you are doing healing work for the collective. Yeah. Well, and there's a piece of me, right? Part of the reason I'm able to do this work is because I know there are like 4,000 queer kids coming up behind me who need policies to protect them, who need infrastructures to protect them, who need gyms to have locker rooms for them, right? So every time I'm having these conversations, it feels healing, not just for the people in the room, but I know there are people who will be impacted by these real changes that we're discussing that I won't ever see. And it's healing for me to know that that's happening. Right. Well, let me ask a question because I was actually having a conversation last night. I was telling somebody else about this experience of having somebody say, oh, the pronoun doesn't apply to me. And we were talking about gender critical feminism and how that manifests. And then I guess there was some sort of, I don't know if it was just a women's fest. Michigan Women's Music Festival. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what is the answer? Because Mm -hmm. my thought was each marginalized group has a right to have their own space at some point, right? Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. women want to be with women or, you know, black people want to be with black people or what you whatever, whatever it is, mm-hmm. there is something mm-hmm. healing about having a space that's just for you. When is inclusivity important and, and when is it important to create space just for certain groups? Yes, I love that you brought up that example. I wrote a paper about this in college about a decade ago that I'm wishing I had like, magically remembered to read before we had a conversation. Oh my, God, but oh my, God. my baseline about that festival in particular, but I think in general, is A, it is a core belief of mine that trans women are women, mm-hmm. which for me would end the conversation, frankly. Yeah. I also think that it is incredibly important to not punish trans people of any gender for the bad behavior of men 
that rationale is used all the time to keep people out of locker rooms and off of sports. Right, but you have a penis, et cetera, right? et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is unacceptable to me. I think that there is an incredible importance for having spaces that feel like home and that feel like a place where you can be your full self. And I think that mm-hmm. people certainly have every right to create those spaces. I think when you're dealing with something like public music festival, it's an issue of access for me. And I don't really believe in safe spaces as a concept. I use the term brave space because I don't think we can ever say that somebody's sense of safety is going to be in alignment with what someone else needs to feel safe. That's true about whiteness. That's true about gender. That's true about classism, right? There's myriad Mm -hmm. ways that that is true. And I think Mm -hmm. that the more spaces we can create where people feel empowered to express their needs and to have agency over either creating a smaller space within that space for themselves. Right. Yeah. And having the really difficult conversations around that. I think that people have experienced oppression and violation in so many myriad ways that to say that one needs to be prioritized above all else is really in direct conflict with my core values. It's an incredibly challenging conversation because there are people who have experienced assault who have very real triggers that need to be factored in and are need to be valued just as highly as the real needs of trans and non-binary folks. Right. Part of that I'm thinking about, so the difference between safety and discomfort, oh, right? Yeah. Like, and I love that you said a space that feels like home because you know what? Home's not always safe either. Oh, home is also uncomfortable, not. right? Absolutely. And part of, of my hope for people who are willing to engage in this conversation is what is my responsibility, right? My responsibility based on my role in the world, how can I stand beside people mm. rather than stand against them, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm uncomfortable, I have choices. I could mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's on me because if there is an inclusive thing, I have agency as well. And I, and I guess that's like within the marginalized groups, like fighting with, with one another, like I've been more oppressed. No, I've been more oppressed. Like that's kind of what I hear, what I hear you saying too, is you can't hierarchically decide who's more oppressed. So who, who has more right to this space? Right. Right. And suffering's not comparable to say someone has suffered more than someone else. We don't have a scale for suffering. Right that you've suffered and we need to acknowledge that suffering and figure out what to do with it and figure out how to help you feel brave when that suffering. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, brave is tied with that agency, that, that feeling of, I have choices here. Mm -hmm. And in life, we always have choices. We don't often like the choices. And that's the problem is when people equate that, like Mm -hmm. you're experiencing discomfort and saying I'm unsafe, like "Mm, it's discomfort. And you just don't like the choice of having to leave, maybe. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, and yeah. it's the same thing with asking people. I I have a bad taste in my mouth for the word ally. I That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But I think for folks who have been identified as allies or advocates or work in solidarity mm-hmm. with other folks to say, oh, you know, I didn't have that really hard conversation with my white uncle when he said something racist because I felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We need to prioritize harm reduction over comfort yeah, over and over and over again. And again, for I've had to say this to so many people in my life, right? You might be really uncomfortable explaining my pronouns to somebody. You're protecting me from harm. Yeah, I'm not going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be hurt in a way that you might not fully understand, but I need you to right. trust is harmful. Asking people to do the uncomfortable work to help 
protect the people they love and the people they're working in solidarity with from harm is vitally important. Mm, that's awesome. I really like you, Chuck. I know. Yeah, we, we have some things. That, I'm like, can we have eight this of them? This is a thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a thing. Before we just talk about how much we love each other, wounded healer. How do you identify with that term, if at all? Oh, all constantly. Perfect. Oh, Wonderful. All. As soon as I saw your podcast name, I was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yep. Got it. Oh, um, no, I think in, in, you know, both of my trans identity and the struggles I have in breaking away from those family norms and those gender norms and societal norms, I, as a person who's seven years deep into a lot of chronic illness, I feel I have assembled an amazing set of tools that I have used over and over again with people in my life who come to me with suggestions for, you know, new forms of therapy to try and new tools to try and mm -hmm. to have hard conversations about what it means to not be productive anymore and what it means to sit in pain. And I really, in the last couple of years, have seen the healing skills I have acquired that are really, you know, I, I acquired them because I had to. And right. I unfortunate the way in which I had mm -hmm, to acquire them, mm -hmm. but they have served me well. And they have been, I think, a really wonderful gift to the people I'm connected to as well. That's awesome. It just makes me think like addiction is my specialty. And I really think that people who struggle with addiction are called to a higher purpose. Otherwise, you wouldn't have gotten that wake up call. And I think mm -hmm. it's very similarly with chronic pain or with an identity that is outside of what people would assume is normal, like anything that you've had to struggle with, yeah. that struggle is is your invitation to a call to action. Yeah, it's nice to get your head above the forest every once in a while and be like, look at all these cool skills I have. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, look what I did based on this experience of pain. Absolutely. Mm. So I'm thinking for folks who are listening and who are like, wait, I don't get anything that they're talking about. So we've got the they them booklet. Yeah. Where else do people go if they want to explore their own gender or learn more about trans identities or non-binary queerness, what have you? Where do you Absolutely. send people? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm literally always down to talk about it. So yeah, don't give away your shit for free, though. No, no, no. Very comfortable facilitating small conversations as well. So just for folks to keep that in mind. But a couple of the big things I always recommend to people is A, you have this wonderful, magical, secret opportunity every single time you leave your house that every single person who walks past you, you just get to use they, them pronouns for them. Mm -hmm. and it's such a nice, cozy, safe way to practice a hard thing. This is about language acquisition, right? We don't mm. learn Spanish from thinking about Spanish, right? You actually have to <laughs> grapple with it. I <laughs> wish. Oh my so God. Nice. Yes. Um, and you have to take risks, right? You have to practice that language and you have to make mistakes and you have to get corrected. And people correcting you is a gift is the other thing I want folks right. to keep in mind, right? Not to be defensive about it, right? Oh, if I correct you, it's because I love you. Like we're, we're, yeah. I don't correct everybody. It's exhausting, right? If right. I'm in a relationship, I'm going to correct you. And that's mm -hmm. a gift I'm giving you. So yeah, practicing, 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 taking gender language out of your day to day and see how hard it is. Use it as yeah. a fun thing, right? Yeah. What's the fun word you're going to put in place of lady? There's a lot of options. Right right? Friends. Friends. Perfect. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I'm someone who loves language. I think there's a lot of us who can re relate to loving language and mm -hmm. use it as an opportunity to play and explore. I think 
The other piece is that little representation part that we touched on before. Non-binary folks and trans folks are vastly underrepresented. And it's your job as folks who are maybe not part of those communities to say, okay, I'm going to go on my Instagram account and I'm going to follow five trans activists and I'm going to follow eight people they all follow. I'm going to follow, follow. Oh, this could be a long conversation. Fresh. Okay. Alok um, <laughs> Menon is an absolute genius, wonderful human. I can send you a little list of everybody's Instagram. Yeah, yeah, please. Erica Hart is a yeah. educator. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just scrolling through my Instagram, my phase. Shug is an incredible photographer. Just heard about Shug. Oh. Mm-hmm. Could have a whole podcast about Shug. They're a hero in my mind. And I would love to compile this for you. This is like awesome. doing that work to it's your Instagram account. It's your Facebook. It's the tags you follow on the Apple News app, right? You can follow transgender. Mm-hmm. You can follow queer. Mm-hmm. You can immerse yourself in that. And then I think finding media sources that are not mainstream media sources, going to salty news and looking at conversations around sex work that are written by sex workers Mm -hmm. and immersing yourself in that. I think that we have to do the work. Unfortunately, there isn't yet a website I can just tell folks to go to that says, you know, explore all these things. We're building it. I promise you it's happening. But I think for now, spend an hour, you know, once a week looking Mm -hmm. at news sources that you don't normally look at and following on Twitter a new activist or a new public speaker or a new artist that identifies as trans is a wonderful way to just start making it a normal part of your day-to-day experience because I have the extraordinary gift of being surrounded by trans people and I can tell you it's magic and I don't want you to miss out you know I don't want people to miss out. That's awesome and finally where can people find you how can they get you? Yes my website is just my name. It's chuckburnson.com. That's the easiest way to find me. You can email me at hello at chuckburnson.com. But yeah, that's direct and simple. Amazing. Unless you forget the H in my name, in which case it's much more hard. Much more hard. Much more we'll hard. post all of this. Everyone will be able to find you. Yeah. Well, you are a treasure, my friend. Right back at you. Treasure. Thanks, Nadia. (laughs) Yeah, right? I'm so excited to share this with the world. But seriously, thank you for your time. Thank you for who you are, what you do. I see your light shining brightly, and Mm -hmm. I'm so happy to be able to put it out there for more people. Thank you for what you do. It's wonderful to get to chat with you. I really hope you enjoyed the interview with Chuck as much as I enjoyed talking to them. We had such a good time. Clearly, we're best friends, and we're going to have to hang out again. So, Chuck, if you're listening, when are we hanging out? Thanks, as always, to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find more information about guests or the podcast in general, you can go to www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. Thanks again. Until next time. Bye-bye.